You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Imagine cold calling a C-level executive at a Target account where he or she personally picks up the phone and agrees to a meeting because they just happen to be seeking a solution like yours. Stop imagining and start dialing with DiscoverOr, the world's leading prospect intelligence platform. Visit discoverorg.com forward slash SDR to learn more. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. David Delaney, your host here. Thanks for joining us. I'm really excited to introduce my next guest on the show, Chris Bryson, the head of North America Sales Development at Smart Recruiters. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, I'm super excited to have you, man. I got in touch with you a couple months ago. I had read a blog post that you and and Taff Love at Smart Recruiters put together for the Clearbit blog about how you use data to drive your sales coaching process at Smart Recruiters. You were nice enough to come out to our sales development um, meetup in December. Wow, it's been a while already. And uh, do a presentation on that, which was very well received. So Chris, thank you again. And, and thanks for you know sharing your knowledge with us both at the meetup and here on the podcast. Yeah, of course. It was uh, a great experience to be able to, to share our story at Smart Recruiters with so many people. And Anybody that was there, I think they, they got a lot out of it. I certainly did, even from the, the Q&A that people had. They had a lot of uh, great questions, and I'm happy to talk more about it today. Yeah, definitely. Let's dive into it. Just first, if, if folks weren't able to make it out to the meetup and they haven't met you, tell us a bit about your background. It's pretty interesting of going from finance to sales development. Tell us a bit about how you got into sales development leadership. Yeah, so it, it's quite a a path, right? Not not a lot of people come from uh, from finance over to to an SDR job, but for me, it was really the best decision that I made. So my my background was originally a, at an investment bank, one of the oldest ones in the world, actually, a uh, actually the oldest one in the United States. And then I went from there into to asset management, where I got to work really closely with folks that were essentially relationship managers for some really uh, high net worth family offices and, and clients. So they were essentially the sales folks, and my job was uh, kind of to crunch the numbers. And that's where I first got my itch to to get in the sales, combined with the fact that finance is a little bit behind uh, in technology, uh, still despite uh, you know its importance to our economy. So that kind of got me looking at a lot of the startups that we were actually investing in, and it, it kind of snowballed from there. I, I actually first uh, looked at a, a company called PandaDoc, which is a e-signature company, because we were having such a hard time getting signatures from clients. So in the finance industry. So I, I reached out to them. That's when I first synced up with uh, Taff Love out here in San Francisco. And I don't know if he was uh, smart or foolish <laughs> at the time to, to, br- to bring me on with no experience, but, but he did. And uh, we started the first outbound uh, sales development program there. Things went pretty well. And I was uh, lucky enough to be uh, an account executive there. And then by the time it was uh, time to leave. I, I had been uh, in sales operations and also uh, running the sales development function there. 
But I left to come to Smart Recruiters, which is a, a really exciting company to be a part of because we're helping people find jobs all around the world, right? It's a, it's the system of record for, for anybody uh, that's in, in HR or recruiting. And uh, again, I got to work with Taft Love, who's a great guy. And if you can get him on the show, you absolutely should. But anyway, the role that I walked into here was that of a, uh, a frontline sales manager. So uh, I'm sure you can imagine you know, what that's like when you're first doing that, especially with a, a brand new team. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So we, we talked about this uh, during the presentation as well and, and how that led us to, to data-driven sales management. So before I, I, I kind of dive into that story, do you have any questions about the background or what you've heard so far, David? No, you know, it's interesting because it's kind of like Bill Belichick. He, he takes a group of people with him as he, as he go. well, he doesn't move around much, but he's got sort of this orbit. <laughs> and, not. Yeah, I know, right? Unless he wants to come out to San Francisco, that's, that's fine. But, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, you and Taft, uh, you know, knew each other. You, you now started a new company. It's almost like, you know, the, you got like a dream team that you're kind of putting together. But so it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But when you, you were saying, when you came to Smart Recruiters, this is really interesting. How did you guys start to think about how to run the team, you know, from a really data-driven perspective that like you went through in your presentation? Yeah, so it was, uh, it was really by necessity. So <laughs> on my first day, you know, I thought that we were coming out to a, a pretty uh, hot start. I actually had an executive come by. Uh, the table where Taft and I was sitting, and they said, "Man, you've you've really got the team fired up. The the reps are calling like crazy." So, <laughs> you know, that's awesome, right? Jobs jobs done. <laughs> but uh, I, I think job you can well gather, done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you can gather that that was probably uh, not the case. There there were a few problems, <laughs> and just the start of it was we had no. Uh, and this is common for you know this the situation I'm going to describe is really common for any new sales manager, especially. Uh, folks that are at startups, whether you're a Series A or, or Series C company, if the sales dev functions new, you're going to have the same problems. And for us, you know, there was no reporting structure, no process. Everybody was kind of running their own show. You know, Salesforce obviously is a mess, just like everybody's. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know how often our reps were actually connecting with people, and um, you know, to cap it off, calling like crazy was really uh, just 120 calls a week across a team of four reps. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So that, that's something that you could do in like a day if you're, if you're cranked up. So yeah. Oh, yeah. So where do you start? Where do you start when you come into something like that? Well, I think the obvious question was first, you know, you know, why aren't they motivated to call and, and how can, and how can we motivate them? Is this a question of motivation? And really what, what we came to is that, you know, motivation is not the answer. One quote that I really like is that kids look for motivation, adults go to work. So for our reps, obviously that meant working harder, you know, putting more inputs in and just getting started. But for us, that meant a little bit more work. And that was actually the data work, right? So finding out how we can uh, interpret our data to solve our problem. So for us, the first thing that we did was actually go ahead and see what questions we needed to answer. The first of which was, you know, are the SDRs concerns about their low connect rate valid, right? So are they, why are they not able to connect with people? And is that actually, is that actually true? Are people just messing up because they don't have good data or is there something, is there something else going on? Then when they do connect, how often are they successful? And when they connect and are unsuccessful, what actually went wrong? So those were the questions that we asked ourselves. 
And the first thing that we did was bucket our dispositions into a couple different categories that helped us quantify it. And the first is, is pretty obvious. It's, you know, the 1980s call center, you know, cold call in a boiler room metric. It's, you know, dials made. The second one uh, is call connect. So the prospect actually picked up the phone. Then we, we metriced uh, what a conversation is at three minutes for, uh, for a standard call. And lastly, we created a bucket for success, which for us is that they set a demo or discovery call with an account executive or uh, a follow-up meeting for themselves. So that's the beginning. Do I still have your attention, David, or did you fall, fall asleep there with uh, some of that data talk? Uh, no, man, I, I'm riveted, actually, because <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm a sales development dork. So, And I think most people listening to the call will love this stuff because you know, the, tracking that is is tough. And being able to get some good reporting out of Salesforce is tough. So I'm just curious, okay, now you, you've been able to create these buckets. Now what? Yep. So that's, uh, that's exactly where things start to get a little messy. And, and this is where a lot of people give up or just rely on one system. Nowadays, most modern sales development teams use obviously a CRM like Salesforce and, and or a, uh, and hopefully a uh, sales engagement platform where they can orchestrate their calls and emails. The problem is, is that you often run into issues where people are either just reporting in the CRM or just in their sales engagement platform, and you can't make apples to apples comparisons and you don't have one perfect system of record. So what we decided was that uh, Salesforce would be the, uh, the source of truth for us. And to do that, we had the report on what was going through our sales engagement platform in, in Salesforce. And at the time, the system that we used wasn't making it easy for us to report on the different dispositions. So we aligned our buckets with different dispositions. For example, a follow-up meeting set is a success. But to do it in Salesforce, we had to write some formulas that translated the fact that a meeting's been set into a binary, either a one or zero, so that we were able to do a count and account of these different dispositions and then have those actually go into the bucket. So okay. if it, it might sound a little confusing and, and I don't want to bore people getting into the, the actual Salesforce setup with it. Taff Love actually did a great talk on this as well. So if, uh, if you're curious, definitely uh, look him up and listen to his talk because he, he goes into, uh, into detail on it. But the moral of the story is that when you're setting up your data in your reporting, you're going to have to think outside the box. And if you're not really good with Salesforce or sales operations, don't freak out because what you actually need to do is pretty simple. And any like Salesforce admin worth their salt should be able to help you out if you're just able to describe what you're trying to do and you have your integration set up. So that was the first part for us, actually building out the buckets in, in Salesforce and letting us report on them. So, okay. so that's, that's thing number one. The base, yeah. You were, you were sitting there going, okay, what is our end result? The end result is we're trying to move people to you know, set appointments. And I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but we're trying to move people to set appointments. And we know what the inputs are to move people along that path. So now it's like we, we have to be able to, in Salesforce, you chose Salesforce as your system of record. We've got to be able to trace those steps, whether they just you know get hung up on, they have a conversation, or they're able to set a meeting, because then we can start to report on it, get the data that we need to be able to start to do the coaching. 
Correct. Yeah. So you use the data to help diagnose the problem. So right now we really just have, you know, a hypothesis about what's going wrong. But with the data, we were able to look at our connect rate. So how often did someone pick up the phone when we called? And what we saw is that as call volume goes up, uh, connect rates go down. And this is because they're actually calling more. They were they were making more than 120 calls a week uh, across the whole team. <laughs> and in the past, what had been happening was that folks were just cherry picking the, the best leads, right? Now we're actually being proactive in reaching out. We're not just going after the people that requested a demo. We're going after people cold and we're starting to do outbound. So that makes sense, which means that, you know, our data is good in terms of like uh, contact information. It's just that now we're doing a greater volume. The second metric was our success rate, which is really what's important for us now that we've established that we have good data, good, t- good contact info which reps are are actually becoming successful and in which ones are responding to our process. So obviously it depended on the rep. And that's really because all of this comes back to skill gaps, right? Uh, And this is where we come into the coaching, right? Of data-driven sales coaching. Okay. Let me, and I just want to interrupt you there for a second, because you said something interesting in that, and I was just talking about data earlier today. We had a webinar about bad data and how everyone's complaining about their data, the data sucks, et cetera. But what you did is, you know, you identified that this was a complaint that people were saying that the data sucks and you were able to actually test that and find out that it wasn't actually the data. It, the data was okay. It was just that we weren't, you know, converting or we weren't calling enough and things like that. Is that correct? Yes, for us, that was correct. And it wasn't because the reps were lazy. They just had no process. There was nothing in place to actually motivate them or create activities for them to to do, right? Because if you're just told, hey, go get some opportunities, you know, you're going to go after the hottest leads unless you're also held to some kind of process. So, and maybe yeah. this is a, a, a different conversation, but we did create a, a process around how many accounts and contacts people should go after. And we based that off of uh, the activity numbers that we wanted to drive. We've shifted from that model now, but at the time it was necessary in order to give people enough at-bats every day that they could potentially hit their quota, right? So that was the first part. The next part that I mentioned is the actual skill gaps, which is where the sales management and sales coaching comes in. We were able to diagnose essentially two different situations that were going on with our team. The first was that some reps had short call durations, and the other was that some reps had long call durations but weren't setting meetings. So we came to the conclusion that the ones with short call durations were having a lot of trouble opening up their their calls, and the ones that had long calls but no meetings they had trouble closing. So this became the first initiative for us to build a coaching framework around was to teach people how to open a call and not scare people away. And then actually how to close a call and not let a prospect take over the entire conversation and then brush you off at the very end after you've qualified them. And and that's really where the meat and potatoes of, of our work was, was creating a coaching framework uh, to ensure that we have people make changes to their behavior and then continue to do what they're supposed to do. Nice. Okay. So first you had to identify the different parts of the call. You got that in, started to get some good reporting, started to notice that there were some trends at the front end of the back end of the call. And then you were like, okay, let's really focus in on those areas to begin our coaching. And then what did it look like 
for creating the coaching, you know, the, 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 the playbook, if you will, to, to start to do that? Did you have to write scripts and do trainings, live trainings, stuff like that? What, how did you create that? Yeah, so it, it always depends on the skill. Like I said, these were the first two gaps that we identified. We've obviously identified more now and uh, and have been uh, closing them <laughs> since. But in the in the beginning, we wanted to make sure that when we delivered coaching and changes, that it was in a structured way, so that it would be taken seriously and so that it would stick. So the first step for us before you do anything was to actually talk to the team. So. Obviously, the reps had complaints. The reps were unhappy that they weren't hitting their numbers and also probably a little bewildered that, you know, a new management team was coming in with changes. So our first step was actually to talk to everybody, get everybody in a room and then just review the reports with the team. So review the data that we're having, you know, bring it down from uh, the, you know, the management castle <laughs> down into uh, <laughs> the ivory down, tower. <laughs> yeah. Down to the people that are doing the hard work and, uh, and, and just show them the same things that we were seeing. And this is really where you're just selling to your team, right? You're, you're, you're helping them understand what's going on and uh, bringing them you know, onto the same page as you. So for us, that was really the come to Jesus moment where it was like, okay, here's what's going on. Here's what's wrong. Okay. Yes. Like it's, it's not just, you know, make believe the numbers can't lie. And this is something we have to fix. And the last part, you know, for us in, in this particular meeting, and this wasn't to scare anybody, it was to set our philosophy for, you know, how we're going to run as a team and, and why this uh, coaching framework is important and why we're going to go through it was that a spot on the team uh, is earned through results, hard work, and also following the process. So the process is how you go about prospecting and, and setting meetings and doing your job, but also uh, making sure that you're involving yourself in the training and being receptive to, to coaching so that you can grow as a sales professional. So that was the first part was to talk to the team. How many more meetings could you set if your team made three times more calls per day and connected directly to decision makers? How much bigger would your pipeline be if you booked 20% more meetings this month? Don't wonder. Check out DiscoverOrg at discoverorg.com forward slash SDR for personalized demo. Okay, and then I want to I want you to keep going, but just one quick question is, how how did you transfer the information on the new process to the team? I mean, I'm envisioning. Did you give them like a checklist that say this is this is the five things that you have to do to prospect any account, or how did you impart that information to the team? Yep. So we created a lot of documentation for this. One tool that we implemented uh, was Guru while we were in our first two months or three months uh, at the company. So with that, we were able to create an order of operations for the various different tasks that an SDR needs to complete every day. I think one thing that we're pretty uh, fanatical about is uh, is documenting our processes. So our SDRs are fanatical prospectors and the managers are, are fanatical documenters and nice. uh, people that build process. So that's what we use to do that. Okay. And then it makes it very easy when you already have a documented process for how we're rolling out training when you actually do it. So for us, the way that we do that is to host a presentation where we have a manager 
conduct formal training. They always set an agenda at, at the beginning about how the training is going to flow, set a time limit, and then ask people to hold Q&A for the end. And we'll often have somebody take notes as well and uh, ask that everybody writes down their questions so that uh, the ones that they ask are, are really important. Generally, what we found is that if you require people to write down their questions before they ask them, they're good ones. And they're not questions that if you just think about for 15 seconds, you can figure out the answer to on your own. <laughs> that is a great tip. That is a great tip. <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised what happens if you just think before you speak, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so you you give them this, this very structured training process. Now, it, let's go back to how you implemented it. So thing number one was get everybody in the room, get buy-in, make sure everyone's on the same page. They're feeling good about it. They can air out, you know, any concerns that they have, what was the next step on that? Was to actually go ahead and host that that structured presentation where we delivered the new skill or tactic to the team, or or just rather, it, it could also be a, a coaching session, but it's always with that strong agenda and uh, in firm rollout. So what we'll do is is actually go through that, explain why it's important, explain the skill. And then finish with the Q&A where a lot of uh, really good learning happens because people have great questions. So that's the next step is to go through the Q&A, make sure that people understand it and that nobody's confused. And we always finish with assigning homework. So this is how we really make it stick. And it's not silly homework like answering a multiple choice quiz or even writing up a response. It's all through action. So we have a tool for uh, sales coaching called Exec Vision, which allows us to listen in on calls and provide feedback. And that's what we use for a lot of our sales skills. So we might say, hey, today, you know, we're, we're going to cover how to open up a cold call and we'll go through that whole process. And the homework will be to submit two or two to three calls where you really nail the new skill on the opener for the call. And for them to have that count, it has to have comments on the call. It has to be uh, dissected properly. So the tool allows you to kind of highlight like game tape. They need to do all of that. And lastly, they need to complete a scorecard, which is, is something that we built through doing multiples of these trainings, which, which aligns to the different parts of, a, of an SDR call. So the opener, qualification, et cetera. That way, every rep knows exactly how well they did on a specific call because they've gone through a training session, they've completed homework, and they understand the scorecard component. So that's the last part. And then finally, actually, after homework's submitted, the manager will always review the results with the rep during their one-on-one and answer any other questions for them. And then we'll, we'll recycle the trainings when they need to be. And the way that we determine when to do that is by looking at the data. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're going back to those initial reports that you put up and seeing if there if there has been any uptick, can you drill down to the rep level or does it have to be across the whole team? Yeah, we can drill down to the rep level. We look at exactly what's going on with specific people on the team. We have an idea of where each person should be. So when we see an anomaly, we can dig in deeper and actually listen to the calls and provide feedback on the fly. And generally, that helps correct most things. But if we start noticing a trend across the entire team, that's when we need to do a new training session 
or refresh one that might have not stuck before. And if it didn't stick, that's a question that management always asks themselves is, you know, what did we do wrong the first time? Why? Why didn't this stick? Is it because too much time has lapsed since we've reviewed it or is there a more serious problem? Okay. And and what is the cadence look like for you and, and Taft and the other managers to get together and analyze the the program data in those reports? Yeah. So the actual cadence is a little bit more informal than the rest of the things that we do. At the highest level with Taft, that might be quarterly when I meet with him, but I meet with our, our SDR manager, uh, Mike Shimanek on a weekly basis. And that's where we're able to dig into the reports. He does a great job putting together a weekly report as well that's submitted to uh, myself and, and Taft just on the high level items. So we can dig in deeper on that, but we'll we'll talk about what he's seeing. There's not always a need to dig into the report and, and look at the numbers if, if you just remember them, right? I trust uh, I trust our manager to be telling me what's going on, but if there is an issue, that's when we'll bring it up and, and dig into it. So I meet with our with the the frontline SDR manager on a weekly basis and specific to reviewing data and trends uh, with Taft, who's our director, that'll be uh, maybe on you know a two month to quarterly basis to look at overall trends to make sure that we're going in the right direction. Myself, I look at it, you know, bi-monthly to, to monthly in terms of the data all in aggregate. Gotcha. All right. So you're looking for the bigger picture trends. And then, okay, so as you put this together, were there two or three things that you learned from the process? How long? Have, you've been there for a couple of years now, right? Or is it? Uh, coming up on a year and a half. So, year and a so half. Not, okay. uh, not, not an incredibly long time, but maybe uh, maybe getting a little old in, in startup years, right? Yeah. <laughs> it <seems> like people, <laughs> it's like dog people years. People jump around really quickly. <laughs> Well, okay, so it's been it, it's been you know uh, a year and a half. Are, are there two or three things that come at you like, gosh, I wish I would have done something different, or we really screwed that up, and you know that's something that we definitely have learned from those type of lessons. Oh yeah, so <laughs> you know, or was it all perfect? Great, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all this sounds great. Everything's perfect. We're 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 good. <laughs> no, I, I wish that was true. I think that the biggest thing that we we uh, we probably made a, a mistake on was moving a little bit too quickly with with some changes in the beginning. I still think that the changes that we moved quickly on were the right changes to make, but. Frankly, it can just kind of mess with the the psyche of your team, especially if you're a new management uh, team coming in. Now, if I did it again, I I would spend a lot more time, even though you know things are in your eyes breaking everywhere, just observing and not trying to play firefighter in the first one to two months, because you're going to have time to fix things. And if you're at a good company, your leadership should tolerate that and allow you to uh, to take time learning. Which which ours ours did, but we we got a little bit overzealous with it, and and the result was, you know, making one change and then having to to backpedal a little on it and and then slightly pivot it. Where if, whereas if we had just observed a little bit longer, we might have been able to to make a fix without having to edit it along the way. Yeah, and frankly, I think that that's a part of uh, building up some really great respect with your team and with your uh, your manager as well if you have one. Yeah, it's kind of you walk in, you go, oh, my God, that's broken. That's broken. That's broken. That's broken. And you want to just like fix it all on the first day. But uh, it sounds like, you know, especially to your point, if you've got that supportive executive management and they know what they're doing, they'll they'll give you a little bit of breathing room there to 
figure out what's going on before you make big changes. Yeah. And frankly, when I started, I told myself I, I wasn't going to make any big changes right away because I, I know that it can cause problems and, and you're not always right. And I told myself, hey, I'm just going to fight these little fires. And I would hold back even more if I was to do it again. Nice. I- anything else that you can think of that you would have done differently if you if you had to do it all over again? Yeah. So this is related to that. I really hit the ground running with hiring in my first month. In fact, I actually did an interview for the company informally before I actually started uh, working there on my first day. <laughs> wow. When I, you know, when I was a fun employed just for the little bit of a gap, I, I said, sure, I'll come in and meet with somebody. So yeah, really hit the ground running, but we kept hiring. And one thing I think I could have done better was continue to build up a, a backlog of pipeline, right? So, you know, via SDR with, uh, with candidates. So I, and I thought I was doing a good job. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that I had a, a lot of people that I could still reach out to. But when we started the scale and, and get interviews stacked up, boy, I really wish that I, I had done even more. So fortunately, uh, you know, our tool that, <laughs> you know, Smart Recruiters itself helps with that. But I would encourage any SDR manager that gets approached by an SDR, and, and you will because it's hot right now, right? Everybody wants to get into it, to take them seriously and give somebody a shot even just to, to network with you and, and take their information and stay in touch and, and stay proactive. Don't rely on people coming to you. Always make sure you're keeping the tabs on people that you think are, are going to be great or, or even have the, the potential to be molded into, into great salespeople uh, you know, in your network and keep them warm. Yeah, I, I've heard that that old saying: "Your network is your net worth." You know, it's yep, like it's, it's who you know is huge. And how do you keep in touch with people? Do you does smart recruiters offer something where you can kind of create a list of the people that you've always wanted to work with? Do you keep it in a spreadsheet? Do you connect with them on LinkedIn? Like, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So imagine from from the the tech standpoint, smart recruiters is is the system of record for recruiting in HR. So it's like Salesforce for if, if you're a recruiter, right? Uh, gotcha. So we have, we have a, without getting into too much detail, we have a lot of ability to make it easy for you to do that and for a company to orchestrate that at a high level. But as an individual, what you can do, absolutely leverage LinkedIn, right? If you're not doing that, come on, <laughs> that's table stakes. I don't even want to count that as a, you know, as a step. The the, the step that I really think, uh, if you're if you're an SDR leader, uh, that you can take to stay in touch with people is to go to events, get out there and meet people face to face. I'm a little bit biased because I like the stuff, but I also think that the best talent goes to those things because they're hungry to learn, and maybe they're uh, you know they're not afraid of being extroverted, which is a great skill if you're an SDR that's going to be interrupting people's days, right? I think that that helps you meet better people and uh, and build your network. But I would also encourage folks to uh, to look at alternative means. So if you're just going to events, obviously, you're only going to see people that are in your local network. Make sure that you extend out to other ones and connect with other SDR leaders in, in other cities and tap into their network. Get to know the people that they know. Find out you know, what top talent they've had before that have, you know, maybe been promoted and connect with those people and see, you know, if they have friends that, that, you know, need a job or trying to relocate because you never know what's going to, what's going to happen with with people's lives or where they're going to go. Yep. I love those. That's great advice. There's a lot of, we're, we're very blessed here in the Bay Area to have events, you know, there's a bunch in the spring. There's obviously the meetup, you know, where, where you gave your presentation. 
There's the MSP sales development network that gets together. There's a ton of different ways to get out there and, and then stay organized, whether it's using smart recruiters or LinkedIn or a spreadsheet or something like that. Stay organized so that you can keep that pipeline full. Because like you said, as the head of sales development, you're, you're almost a, an SDR for people. You got to yeah. get the people constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. So Chris, what's coming up for you on the horizon? Anything uh, exciting with smart recruiters or, or your team or Chris? <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of exciting things coming up. We're closing out our fiscal year, which is exciting. And obviously I can't talk about the details of that, but, but it's, uh, it's, it's great for our team. We're continuing to scale up our enterprise sales org. So we're hiring more enterprise account executives, which align directly to the folks on my team. We prospect into 1,000 plus person companies and half the team's dedicated to folks that are in the, the, the 5,000 plus segment. So really big companies. And that, that's the plan, right? That's what we need to continue to execute on. We've done well building pipeline over the last year in that segment, but we need to continue to accelerate it. And we're doing some pretty interesting new things, I think, to, to break it out from the noise in that segment as well, beyond just ca actually calling people and having great conversations. So very exciting on that front. Nice. We'll be uh, continuing to innovate internally. So one of the things that's really important for us to continue to build out is essentially an assembly line for sales development here at Smart Recruiters. We, we want to make sure that our salespeople are, are selling and not doing a bunch of wrench work all day. And, and I'm actually happy to talk about that if you've got any specific questions on, on the assembly line. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a couple of things I want to hear more about. I, I know we're kind of coming up on the hour, but I want to hear more about your outside of the box ideas that you're putting together, if you can share one or two of those. And then also tell me more about this assembly line. Sure. And, and they actually both kind of uh, work together. So yeah. the, the outside the box idea that, we, that we're working on, I mean, the, the end result, the content of it sounds pretty simple, but the way that we went about it, I think is where the innovation lies. So one thing that we do for our prospects is put together a uh, application experience scorecard. So the scorecard tells them how great their candidate experience is, right? So what's it like if you're a candidate applying for a job on a company's website. And we have a bunch of different metrics that help determine a score. And then we explain what the score actually means. So we'll send out the first page that has the, the actual score on it and an explanation of what this study was and, and how you did and use uh, the second page and the explanation and all the detail as a, you know, a, to use a, a crude word bait, right? <laughs> to take, to take the meeting. But the way that, uh, the way that we created it's actually pretty interesting. We have a research team in Spokane, Washington that does a lot of different uh, things for the sales development team, you know, one of which are you know, helping us with these innovative projects. So we actually had two interns apply for, I don't know, maybe like a thousand something different jobs across different sites and complete scoring for all of these different items. And then we had uh, one of our really bright members of the research team create a, uh, a Google Sheets app that was able to process those into a score and automatically create a templated response, right, based off of, uh, you know, how they did pull in different copy into a, word, into a, into a, um, a Google Doc and then automatically create a PDF when 
an SDR requests one. So it looks, uh, it is customized, but it's not something that's been done completely manually. And it's something that's really let us break through the noise and also provide a lot of value uh, to people who are going to be our future customers. So we're using data intelligently there <laughs> again. And nice. uh, that's really uh, been exciting for us. And we're always looking for other things just like that. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody on the call, if you can think outside of I'll just, you know, send a bunch of emails and make a bunch of phone calls and try to improve on that. I mean, just what is it that is the main problem that you're trying to solve for your potential buyers? And is there some kind of report or, you know, some research or something that can add value to their lives that is not necessarily, you know, an immediate call to action? but something that you can follow up on, right? And it sounds like you guys have really nailed something valuable that you can then follow up on. Absolutely. And and it really helps set the tone for your sales cycle as one that's ROI oriented, because hopefully the content that you're delivering is related to ROI. And here's you know what we're going to do for you. And if you're selling to the enterprise, that puts you in a great position to write the RFP for the customer, <laughs> yeah. which hopefully only you can win. So... <laughs> It's a great approach to take, you know, it's not as easy as sending out a million emails saying, hey, can you point me in the right direction? But uh, <laughs> but it, it really works if you're selling, you know, a high ASP product. Yeah, exactly. And you got you got your you've got your research team that you can rely on, which a lot of people don't, but they can you can come up like think outside the box. I know is a it's a cliche, but you don't have to have all the resources and everything all worked out. You you can do it yourself. You just got to be creative. So, exactly. Yeah. You and know, everybody. About, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, you know, everybody, you know, talks about how much they want their, their sellers to focus on selling, but they don't invest on decentralizing the SDR role. Right. So taking out the, the parts that don't have anything to do with selling. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, actually a good segue. I didn't mean to cut you off is. I want to hear more about this assembly line because if you think about the SDR, you know, team as like almost like an, a factory, you know, if you have someone working, you know, the sander and the belt at the same time and running back and forth, it, it's just it's so inefficient. Where it sounds like you guys have broken out those positions, for example, uh, having a research and then the SDR position as two discrete positions. Exactly. If if you're doing everything, something's going to give, and you know more likely than not, it's going to be something critical <laughs> if you have somebody doing everything. So what we've done is is take away the activities that are most likely to be neglected. So hopefully everybody that we've hired and interviewed wants to actually do selling stuff. So 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 talking to customers and and writing uh, email responses from uh, prospect replies. So that's table stakes for us. But things like gathering, you know, technographic data or finding out what kind of applicant tracking system a client or, or prospect uses or importing contact information into the CRM. I mean, even though tools make it really easy to do that now, you just click a button and import a contact. That's still a super low value activity that we can train a contractor to do and have them prepare accounts that SDRs are requesting enrichment for. So for us, we have the SDRs own their book of business and really determine strategically which accounts they want to pursue with their account executive, request that we get the account ready. So that's something that 
SDRs traditionally were responsible for in a lot of orgs was making sure the data is in there, making sure that an account's like prospecting ready. We've taken that away and given that to a research team to bring all of those insights, contact information, and anything else that we can come up with uh, onto the account before the SDR even touches it for the first time, other than deciding that that's an account that they're going to pursue. Okay, so they can be a little bit more strategic about it. Last quick question about that is a lot of SDR managers struggle to demonstrate the ROI on a research team or breaking up the SDR and the research. And the response usually from the executives is, well, isn't that what the SDR is supposed to be doing? So how, how do you guys think about it, you know, demonstrating the ROI for hiring that contractor? Yeah, so it's uh, the increased pipeline <laughs> when, uh-huh. uh, you know, that's obviously the result. But when we first do it, you, sh- you again show the numbers, right? So this works really well if you have a higher ASP product you know, something that, that doesn't, that's not transactional. So if you're, if you're listening in and you're selling an SMB or almost self-serve product, it, this probably doesn't make any sense for you. But if you're in the account-based sales development world where you're selling something that's over $25,000, it makes complete sense because your sellers can focus on, on talking to more people, setting more meetings and not setting out hours of their day where they're going to be pulling lists and copy pasting things and clicking buttons <laughs> and doing things that don't directly lead to uh, to pipeline and, and eventually revenue. You're also, if you're in a high, high cost of living city like San Francisco, you're paying your SDRs a lot and they're probably really qualified already. People generally have uh, already worked for a while uh, maybe even gone to to some really great schools, you know, and are pursuing a career in uh, in SaaS sales here in, in SF or Seattle or some other city like that, and you're paying them a lot to do data entry. It's insane. So, yeah. you know, if you're if you get in an argument, right, you know, it's why do we even have an SDR team here? Why don't we go do it somewhere else? And and then yeah, sure, maybe that makes sense then. But hey, look at the gains that we can get if if we if we split this up and, and have a contractor do it for you know a few dollars an hour, it's not even a a difficult conversation to have, frankly. Yeah, I like how you put that in that you have to look at your ASP because it looks you know it's got to make sense from a pipeline perspective, and if it's your ASP is too low, then it it just doesn't pencil out. So great. Well, Chris. Yeah. We're running right up against the hour, dude. This has been amazing. If folks want to get in touch with you, is LinkedIn the best way to do it? Um, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn, I think, is the, the best entry way. Again, I always read messages that people send me on there. So if, if you'd like to connect and you have a question, feel free to reach out. I'm pretty friendly. so <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So don't be shy. <laughs> Definitely. Again, you did a great presentation at the meetup and we appreciate it. Chris, thanks for all the tips. I think people got a lot of value out of the call. Really appreciate it and uh, have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.